time in the hospital. Very thankful that she came through that testing well and uh, has been able to return home. We're thankful she's here. We want to express our sympathies as well to Barb Zanstra and to her children, Beth and Craig, and Connor, the grandson, on the passing of George Zanstra. The funeral is going to be at church on Tuesday. It's going to be here on Tuesday. 10 o'clock will be visitation uh, with the family, and then 11 o'clock will be the service. So if you are uh, able to attend and express your sympathies there, that would be wonderful. Or if you can talk with the family today or uh, in coming days, remember them in your prayers. Also, we want to welcome Carol Messman this morning. Carol, I looked and I didn't... Ah, yes. Please stand, would you? Welcome into our midst. We received uh, Carol's papers, uh, transfer membership, and she is now uh, uh, a member with us here, she and her husband Wes. We're so thankful that you are uh, with us, and we look forward to serving the Lord with you and encouraging you, even as we trust you'll be an encouragement to us. Thank you. The Lord has uh, brought us together to worship, and as we have come to worship, we want to focus our thoughts now upon him as we hear from his word. Please stand as we hear his word from Psalm 118. Psalm 118 says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. People of God, our worship is in the form of a dialogue. God speaks and we respond. And so I ask you that question now and that you would respond from your hearts and according to the working of the Holy Spirit to this question, congregation, in whom is your help? We greet you this morning. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ through the working of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to sing together number 297. Number 297 in our hymnals, Lift Up Your Heads, Ye Mighty Gates. We'll sing those six stanzas of number 297.
morning is a summary of God's law. We look to Exodus chapter 20, the afternoon service, which is going to be just before 1 o'clock. At least that's our, our targeted time. After the dinner, we'll have a pre-service hymn sing, then right into the afternoon service, about quarter to 1 or so, 1 o'clock. We're going to be talking about uh, the kingdom, the king who comes in that service, our Advent service. And we recognize that the king has a kingdom, and he has a law that governs that kingdom. And it is the law by which we are convicted of our sin. It is the law by which we are shown that life which is pleasing to God. As the Holy Spirit works in us, we desire to live for him and to serve him. It is that law which protects from evil. It is to be upheld so that evil does not encroach, that evil does not take over. When law is rejected in favor of personal preference or in favor of a show of hands, we see what it does to a society. It brings that society down. It causes decay. It causes a, a, a sadness and a, and a confusion that we see uh, in cultures, even as our own, when the law is not upheld, when it is not uh, recognized as the standard by which we live. So this morning, we want to hear a summary of that law. Exodus 20, God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. The people of God, we recognize that this law is a law which is over all men. I said we've seen what turning from the law means in a culture. I don't mean to say that we pretend to be Israel and we're acting in keeping with the Ten Commandments, but the laws of this country have the law of God in their background. And it is a law which every nation and every people should keep. That law is summarized in this, that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength to love our neighbor as ourselves. I won't say more about that now, But we'll look at that a bit more this afternoon. 
remembering God's commands. We are not free to do whatever we choose, but that we have been created to live for our Creator, God Almighty. We look for a coming helper because we are those who don't keep that law. We are those who sin against God. And so we want to respond with number 300, come thou long-expected Jesus. What is our prayer? He is born to set his people free from our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. When he comes again, he will establish a new heavens and new earth, and he will change the hearts of those who have been called by the Father to perfect obedience. All sin will be wiped away, and we will remember our true purpose and live it out fully, and that is living for the Lord. So we want to sing of that. Our longing is for this coming Jesus, this coming Savior. Let's sing those four stanzas, number 300.
He is the one to whom we look for the hope of everlasting life. In Romans 3, we read, A righteousness of God has appeared. Man have been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the law points to that need for a Savior. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is a righteousness to be found in him. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The word speaks clearly without confusion that if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in him, then all our sins are covered by his precious blood and we can come to the Father and know him as one who receives us as his dear children and keeps and protects us forever. That is our confidence, and that is the reason we can come to him in prayer this morning. Let's do that now. Let's turn to the Lord. Lord, you've brought us through another week, safely through another week. In it, we've been reminded of needs, of frailties, of our own sin, a need for a Savior to come, that long-expected Jesus, who when he comes will deliver us from all our fears, from our sins, he will release us, that we might find our rest in him. Lord, we are so thankful that that promise that you have set forth has been established, that you have established your king on your holy hill. And though the nations rage, though the peoples plot, they do so in vain. For you have declared that all has been accomplished. In your son's death upon the cross, he declared it is finished. It is accomplished. The price has been paid. In this season, we wait. This season, we remember our waiting, our reflection upon his coming again. As we go through our weeks, through our days, through our weeks, through our months, through our years, we do see our need. We go through sadness and sorrow. Today, we remember Barb and her extended family, Beth and Craig and Connor and extended family in the passing of George. Lord, this is the end of every man. We must take it to heart. But it is not the final end for those who believe in your son. It is but the beginning of eternity with you. They wait for their bodies, their glorified bodies, even as we wait. Together we wait for that coming of your son. Looking for those promises to be fulfilled. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us the ability to discern that word and to live in light of your word, knowing what to put first. Give us the wisdom of the sons of Issachar who were described as those who understood the times and knew how the people of God should react, how they should live in the midst of all that was going 
on around them. Lord, we hear so much today that is troubling. We hear threats by world leaders, threats of war. We see the release of those who were put in prison because of the danger they pose to society, and we scratch our heads wondering what is taking place. Our leaders seem to have lost their reasoning ability. The only words that seem to be strong are those aggressive words, those threatening words, not words of confidence in upholding the law. Decisions seem to be made for expediency and not out of wisdom and reflection, not out of a remembrance that they have responsibility to protect. Lord, we are troubled by that. We see how things change. This week we are reminded again of how people come and people go. We are on the earth and then we are gone. As the flower fades, as the grass withers. But we know that you do not change. We can look to you and find peace. Strengthen your promises. Comfort us with awareness of your sovereignty. The reminder of who you are. We pray that today as we hear your word, as we consider the life of Abram and what, it, what your word has to teach us about ourselves. Give us strong faith to look to you, to find our hope in you. You bless us in this world with faith and hope and love. May these increase as we grow older. May we grow closer to you by the work of your spirit. Help us to love each other. We thank you for this church, for the time of fellowship that we have to look forward to today. In our meal together, we ask your blessing upon that. Father, we pray that our actions towards each other, our time spent with each other, would strengthen us to show that same love to those in society around us, that they would see and yearn for a connectedness, a belonging, and recognize that that belonging only is established as they look to your Son and know peace with you, and then can find the ability to forgive and to be forgiven by those around them. Father, we ask that you would be with those who have turned away from you, those who are under discipline, those who have been removed from membership of the church. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would work in them, cause them to remember the beauty of fellowship, the glory of the gospel, the certainty of coming judgment that they would want to return, that you would move them by your Spirit to that end. For those who have come under discipline, we pray that you would change their hearts and their minds, bring them back. Lord, we pray that you would be with our shut-ins, those who are not able to be with us, those who so long for and yearn for fellowship, but are unable to be here. Strengthen them today. Encourage them by our words, by our visits, our cards, and our prayers, our concern for them. We thank you for healing mercies 
for time uh, in the hospital, but also release again. We thank you that Tini is with us again today. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to give her strength and a testimony to your goodness in her life. For those who have not been with us for some time and who are back with us again, we, we give thanks. We ask, O Lord, that you would continue to remind us of our need, but also of your goodness, of your provision, to know that all that we need in this life, you provide, and that you prepare us for the coming glory that you have promised to those who wait for your son's appearing. We pray that that message would go out over over the lands all around the world today. We pray for Reverend Mihai Corchea in Romania. We ask, O Lord, that you would cause that small congregation to grow, to grow in number, to grow in faith and commitment, to pray for, and we pray for the growth um, in families there, that they would see generations rise up to worship. We ask, O Lord, that you would give wisdom and strength to Reverend Corchea as he leads that congregation to those who assist him in that. Lord, we thank you for our brothers and sisters all around the world who meet even in difficult circumstances, in danger of their own lives, thankful for their testimony. May we have such zeal, may we have such commitment as we gather and worship, may we recognize what a blessing this is for us. All these things we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, asking that you would hear us for his sake. Amen. I'm going to turn to number 234. As we sing, the God of Abraham prays. Stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 6. 1, 2, 3, and 6 as we stand to sing number 234.
I come now to hear God's word to us this morning found in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15, we're skipping over a few chapters as I said we were going to do as we look at the life of Abram. And just to give you a little background, the the intervening chapters, Genesis 13, we read about Abram and Lot separating because of the size of their flocks and their herds. They can't be uh, provided for in any one spot, so they decide to separate. Lot moves down toward Sodom. We know about that city. It's infamous history in the scriptures, but Lot ends up going to Sodom because that land was green and well-watered. Genesis 14, we read of the uh, kings of Sodom and Gomorrah getting involved in war with the kings from the east. Sodom and Gomorrah are defeated. They're plundered, and Lot is actually taken captive. He and his along with all of his possessions. When Abram hears about this, we read that he gathers his mighty men together, his 318 mighty men, and he goes out against the kings of the east and defeats them. We're not given more details on that, but he goes out to fight against them. On his return from the victory, he's met by Melchizedek and receives a blessing from him. The king of Sodom also wants to give him a blessing. The king of Sodom says, all those possessions that you've recovered, Abram, they're yours. You can have them. And Abraham says, no, I do not want anything from your hand. He takes an oath that he would not receive blessing from anyone other than God. He returns to Shechem with his victory behind him. We read the word of the Lord comes to him. In a vision, and that's where we pick up our reading of God's word this morning. Genesis chapter 15, reading the entire chapter. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. When the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, 
You shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and uh, saying, To your offspring I will I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Behold, this is the reading of God's own holy word. May he add his blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this morning. Dear people of God, I don't know about you, but I would have liked to have heard more about the 318 fighting men in chapter 14. How Abram was able to come up against the kings of the east who defeated the kings of, the so- of Sodom and Gomorrah and their allies. How he came up against them and wrested from them all that they had taken. But we don't hear that. The scripture is not about these fighting men, not about Abram's accomplishments, but rather it is about the Lord coming to Abram and assuring him of his provision and protection of Abram. He says to him in verse 1, I fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Abram attached this promise back to what we read in chapter 12, that he was going to be father of a great nation. And so he responds in verse 2, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And he said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Abram was trying to understand what God promised to give. How would it be fulfilled? He was a man of faith. We see that in in many ways. We're going to see that again this morning. But we see in the end of chapter 14, which I went through very briefly, that he was not going to receive from the king of Sodom anything. For he recognized that all of his blessing was going to come from the Lord. That's one aspect, one element, uh, one illustration, rather, of, of his faith. He says, it will come, my blessing will come from the Lord. I've lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. He says, I won't take anything from you. And because of this faith, because of these, this, the way he lives his life, the Lord is responding to him and saying, continue to walk in this way. Verse 4, he says, it says, Behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram. This man, this Eliezer, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. But in practical terms, the promise seemed as far away from fulfillment as ever. He remained childless, and he hadn't even the smallest piece of ground that he could claim as his own. He was a sojourner. Now, children, I want you to think of something. We've been talking about this as we've been looking at the, the opening chapters of the Bible. These first, five bo- these first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, are written by Moses for the people of God that they would understand their history. Well, what do you think they're hearing as they look back to their father Abraham? 
What they should be hearing is that God promises to bring their father into the land to give offspring. Well, they were his offspring. They recognized that, and they were wondering about this land as they're preparing to go into the promised land, having received these books, having heard this word. Are they wondering to themselves, how is this going to happen? You remember what happened when the 12 spies went into Canaan, right? What did they say? The nations are huge. You should see these people. They're monsters. We shouldn't go in there. We can't go in there. And then Caleb and Joshua say, no, certainly the Lord will give the land into our hand as he's promised. But it was something they had to do by faith, wasn't it? It was a, it was a path they had to journey on by faith because there were obstacles. Well, they're hearing this word, wondering, will God really keep his promise? And yet they see how God kept part of that promise with Abram already and continued to set it before them. Abram learned, as we have to learn, that we must walk by faith as we walk through life, trusting in him that he is going to accomplish what he promises. Abram's faith is a challenge to us, an encouragement to us. But I ask you this, what would you do if you're in Abram's place? He's blessed. He's he's got all kinds of flocks and herds. He can't even stay on the same ground as his nephew, Lot, because he's got too much. He's, he's got abundance. What, would you, what do you do when you have abundance? You say, well, I'm pretty good. I, I think, I got, I think I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy right here. But what does Abram do? He asks the Lord, how is the promise that you have given going to be fulfilled? He doesn't look around and say, I don't really need that, whatever God promised. I've got what I want right now. He asks him, how is this going to come to pass? In believing, he wants understanding. He wants to understand more clearly or in a deeper way how God's promise is going to be fulfilled. Now, the Bible as a whole, and this passage in particular, reminds us that God's blessing is about more than material blessing. Indeed, that isn't even promised to us. We've kind of come to expect it because we've been so blessed materially. But God doesn't promise that. He doesn't say you're always going to have uh, all these, uh, these numerous possessions. But he does promise that he will give himself, that we will be his as we look to him in prosperity and in want. Abram serves as an example to us in this. He wanted to see God's promise advance. He wanted to understand how it was was going to unfold. And we should want to see that too. We should want to see how God's promise of, of being our God, of being our Father, would unfold more and more in our lives. How is that going to grow in us? And ask God to answer that prayer by giving us greater desire for him, greater love for him, recognizing that our adversary, the devil, wants us to settle for the world's riches and for relationships that are temporal rather than to look to God. And and one, one, one final note under this first point, Eliezer would have served just fine to be a caretaker of Adam's goods after he had passed away. That, that, that could have certainly happened. 
And I make that point because oftentimes there are ways we can look at our life and say, well, that's all going to turn out okay. I mean, th- this plan B, right? Plan C. We, we, can, we, can, we can work this out. And yet Abram doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, I'm going to settle for this. He says, I want to know that promise in its fulfillment. I want to understand it more fully. I want to walk in light of your goodness. And so he presses for understanding. But he has some doubts. And what do we do with our doubts? I want to see that secondly this morning. What, what do we do? Well, we lay out our doubts before the Lord. We lay them out. Our, our, our struggles. We should ask for help to understand what God wants to do in us while we wait and maybe even while we suffer, while we go through adversity. Developing a right longing, developing a steady perseverance is being taught to us in the word this morning. Where do I long to look for my strength? Will I persevere in God's promises, waiting for that reality? You see, God already knows your thoughts, what's going on in your heart. He won't be shocked if you bring questions to him. He already knows if you have those questions and what those questions are. And he says, come to me that I might help you understand. Don't go your own way. Don't trust in your own wisdom, but acknowledge me. Walk in my path and I will make your way straight. I'll make your way clear. I'll help you to understand that good and right path. Now, God doesn't always answer us in ways that we understand, doesn't always answer immediately, but he will give us what we need to press on, to mature us. He doesn't always give specific answers to our questions. He wants us to grow in our pursuit of understanding the text, understanding his word through a work of the Holy Spirit. The more we trust, the more we see he can be trusted. You see, God doesn't tell Abram how he's going to do what he has promised, but he makes clear that he will do it. That's what verse 4 is all about. I will do this. And Abram accepts that word. He believes. Congregation, what did the people of God need? Remember who this, this, this book is being written for God's people. What did they need as they're entering the land of promise or preparing to enter the land of promise? What do we need? And we're surrounded by the nations. We're surrounded by those who do not love the Lord or want to serve him. Well, one of the things that we need to be reminded of is the greatness of God. Here, Abraham is reminded of God's greatness as he lays out his doubt before him. Where do we see that? Look at verses four, uh, 5 and 6, rather. Excuse me, verse 5. At verse 4, he's talking to him, saying, This man will not be your heir. Your own, very own son shall be your heir. And, then he sa- and he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. The point the Lord is making is, I have made all of these stars. I know them. I've named them. 
The psalmist talks about how God has named the stars, how he's put the starry host in its place. And he says, I can do this. I certainly can fulfill my promise to bring you an heir. We could look all over scripture for examples of how this way of coming to the people is, is God's way. I, I was thinking about Jeremiah this week. Jeremiah receives a, a call in Jeremiah 32 to buy a piece of land in Jerusalem just before Nebuchadnezzar takes over the land. It, it seems absolutely senseless. Why would he buy land that was about to be overtaken, to be conquered? The point was, so that he might make a statement that he believed God's promise that he would bring the people back there. And he had to remind himself of the greatness of God. Listen to what he said in verse 17 of Jeremiah 32. He says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. That's what we need to remember. Nothing's too hard for God. When he promises he's going to do something, he will accomplish it. We don't always see how he's going to do that, but we know that he's able. And we have examples of him doing just that. And indeed, the Jews did return to that land much later. Well, back to Abram. He believed the Lord, verse 6 tells us. He believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. The form of the Hebrew verb there is that which speaks of something repeated or a continuous action. He did believe, and he continued to believe. This was, some, this was Abraham's routine. This was routine, again, sound, it's, it's a, it has a bad connotation, but this was, this was his everyday way of living. He walked by faith. It was his normal response to God's word. His faith was a settled faith because it was settled upon God who could not lie and who would accomplish his, purposes, his, his promises. A justifying faith, Abraham's trust was fixed on God who was the giver of life, the fulfiller of all promise. True faith looks to God who promises to make a way. God turns promise into reality. Faith believes in God while in the gap between promise and reality. As we live in that gap, as we wait, and we wonder all the things that seem so real to us today, but this looks like it's going to take over. This looks like it's going to destroy everything. But as we keep our eye upon the Lord, we're reminded that he is bringing us through this as he has brought his through, as he's brought his people through, again and again. When we put it in terms of salvation, we've come against seemingly seeming paradoxes, difficulties, contradictions. How is it possible for God to be perfectly holy and to justify the ungodly? How can my sins be forgiven? How will the church survive through these tough times? And we look to God's word, and we see how God accomplishes that, and faith believes. We believe. One commentator puts, faith, puts it this way, faith silences our questions and lays hold of the one who does the impossible. 
We saw it in Romans 3 this morning. He is just and the justifier, the one who gives Christ as our propitiation, the one who satisfies just demands against sin. We must believe. Abram believed God's promises. Then he asked for a sign, verse 8. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? The details of the covenant ceremony are given in verses 9 through 17. It's been noted that Abram as prophet, priest, and king is seen in these chapters. We've seen him as king in chapter 14 where he goes up against the kings of the east and he receives, uh, uh, or he conquers them, receives Lot back, and then he is blessed by Melchizedek, king of righteousness. Then we go on to see in the opening of chapter 15 that the word of the Lord came to him. This is a prophetic descriptor. The word of the Lord came to him. Abram is receiving a word from the Lord. Now we see him acting as priest bringing the animals for the covenant ceremony. All the signs of the covenant are here, and in case we miss it, verse 18 says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. He made it clear to him. He gave a sign. Now, there are many types of covenants. There are covenants between two equal parties. There are covenants between a stronger and a weaker party. There's, a co- there's covenants between a king and his favored subject. It is that last covenant that we see as the model for this covenant with Abram. In Genesis 15, God shows, God promises to his favored servant to fulfill his covenant. Covenant normally opens with the king making the covenant, describing what he had done. Well, we find that verse 7, don't we? Verse 7, he says, And God said to Abram, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Ur, from Ur of the Chaldeans has the echo of Exodus 20, doesn't it? I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God's setting covenant. He's making covenant. He's saying, I certainly will do this. Look what I have done. I have powerfully brought you out. You have done nothing. At the conclusion of the covenant agreement, it was often custom for the parties to walk between pieces of torn up animal served as a kind of, a, of an acted-out curse, as it were, meaning, if I break the covenant, may I be torn in half as these animals. But in this covenant, it is God alone who passes between the pieces in the form of a blazing torch, a smoking fire pot. It foreshadows the cloud and the fire on Mount Sinai. The one who would give the law was here showing that grace comes first. For this was a totally one-sided covenant, depending entirely upon God for its fulfillment, and therefore grounding it upon a solid foundation. One commentator writes this, by what figure could God have demonstrated his commitment more graphically to Abram? How could it have been displayed more vividly? The only way would have been for the figure to become a reality. For the ever-living God to take on human nature and taste death in the place of the covenant-breaking children of Abram. 
That's precisely what God did in Jesus Christ. On the cross, the covenant curse fell completely on Jesus so that the guilty ones who placed their trust in him might experience the blessings of the covenant. That's what we remembered in our celebration of Lord's Supper last Lord's Day. These sacrifices that Abram laid out were those of the Old Testament, those that God gave as he gave the law to Israel there on Mount Sinai, the Old Testament. But we recognize that the blood of bulls and calves cannot forgive our sin. The writer of Hebrews tells us that. It is only the blood of the covenant, the true blood of the covenant, even the Lord Jesus Christ, whose blood given can bring forgiveness. And as we have thought of this series in this, with this title, Living in the Gap, so we see Abram living in the gap between promise and reality. He receives this promise. He receives this sign, but the reality is not shown to him. He has to walk by faith, trusting that God will deliver. And it is a long path for him and for his descendants. They have to wait even as he had to wait. The first installment, the promised land, would not be received for many years. Even then it would come after much difficulty. Exile would come first. It would be hardship, severity. For 400 years there would be mistreatment God had promised Abram, and it came to pass. Before the promised land could be entered, Abram was a true prophet. The events that the Lord spoke to him did come to pass. First came suffering and then glory, and that order remains the same for us today. Before glory, suffering. We live in that gap between promise and reality. What does that gap look like? Well, there are signs given. There, are, there is a word given from God, a promise that he will see us through, but there are hardships and there are difficulties, and we must continue to look to the Lord, confident that he will do what he promises to do. But God was good to Abram. He was good in this way. He passed from this life in peace. What more can we ask? To know peace. To know peace in our dying day. To know that God is faithful to his covenant. That we will not die and cease to be or die and go to judgment. But rather that we will put off this mortal flesh, and be given that which is immortal. Putting off the perishable to receive the imperishable. Putting off the sadness and the tears to receive the joy and the glory. We walk with Abram, who realized that the land that he sought was a heavenly country, not an earthly one. Hebrews 11 tells us that. God was good to Abram to be sure in this life, in this life crowning him with many blessings. But his chief and crowning blessing was beyond the grave, as it is for all of God's people, unless the Lord returns before we pass away. So we wait for this descendant that is pictured in the one promised to Abram, the child of promise, that one that was promised throughout the Old Testament the one who would be king of the nations, who would ask of the Lord to give him the nations and he would receive them as Psalm 2 tells us. 
We wait for that day. We look forward to the coming of that one. We have the sign and seal of the covenant to give us strength to walk by faith. And we say, come, O son of Abraham, come and reveal your glory and usher us into the land of promise. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we walk, as we live in the gap between promise and reality, we have your word, your sure, sure word, that you will keep your promise. You reveal yourself to us as one who is faithful, calling us into fellowship with your son, keeping your people holding on to us when we are weak, bringing us back when we stubbornly go in a way that we should not go. Lord, help us to grow in love for you and in understanding of your ways that we might walk in all peace in our hearts and in our lives, living according to your commands. We ask, O Lord, that we would see that faith in our children and grandchildren, that we would see your church strengthened even in days of hardship, especially in days of hardship, filled with anticipation for something much better than this world has to offer. Lord, may we see our chief blessing in you. We ask for your glory. Amen. Number 388, 388 is in response. Rejoice, rejoice, believers, and let your lights appear. The evening is advancing, the darker night is near, the bridegroom is arising, and soon he will draw nigh. Up, watch in expectation as midnight comes the cry. He comes when we least expect it, but he is coming, and therefore we can walk confident that that light will appear, and it will wash away all darkness, and we shall be with him. Let's stand to sing the four stanzas, number 388.
Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for your riches, immeasurable, for life, for godliness, for relationship with you. We are those who have received bountifully, and so we give aware that there are needs around us. We pray that as we give for benevolence that you would grant wisdom, grant plenty, grant wisdom to the deacons and plenty for them to distribute, that we might be those who show the love of Christ to those in need. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please stand as we hear God's parting blessing. Oh, I failed to mention the choir will be meeting after the service to practice for Christmas. You get that right? After the service. So if you are involved in that, please come to the sanctuary after the service. People of God. Hear this parting word of blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.